0: you're listening to the hockey podcast network new shows every day find us at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com or
1: wherever you get your podcasts from Welcome to the San Jose Hockey Now Podcast, your trusted source for all things the San Jose Sharks on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Floor. Joining me, as always, is Editor-in-Chief of San Jose Hockey Now and my co-host, Shang Pang. Shang, how's it going? I see you got that fancy new mic there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh, just uh, uh, trying this out, see if I sound any better, so I hope I do sound better here. And, yeah, uh, things are going great, Uh, taking a little bit of time off. But as you can see from the website, there's still a lot going on. A lot is uh, a lot coming out in the next uh, week or so. All right. Well, while the hockey players get
1: their all-star break, uh, Shang never sleeps. So he's going to continue pumping out that content. So speaking of the content, Shang actually, you you busted open the very first – or you you opened up, I should say, the very first mailbag opportunity in San Jose Hockey Now history. And that's essentially what we're doing on this week's episode. We're going to bust it open. We're going to get to all the questions from all the subscribers over at SanJoseHockeyNow.com. So thank you again to everyone who is subscribing over there. Uh, We appreciate the support. Shang, of course, appreciates the support and the love. And, uh, Yeah, just just wanted to say a quick thank you to everyone subscribing. And if you're not subscribed... uh, Yeah, let me
0: uh, chime in there. Yeah, uh, thank you uh, so much. If you are subscribing, it means a lot. Uh, Not only does it mean a lot uh, in terms of just the financial aspect, of course, but it means a lot that um, you value uh, my work and you value the hard work that I I put into uh, the website. And uh, yeah, really, it means means the world to me. And uh, so I wanted to... uh, um, uh, try to uh, continue to improve the subscriber experience give more to the subscribers and uh, one thing that uh, I had to admit um, and we can talk about this more later because it's not uh, it's not actually an actual reader question I hate mailbags I, I really don't like them I, that's why <laughs> I've never done a mailbag uh, uh, in my entire uh, writing uh, uh, writing hockey writing career and of course at first it's because uh, you, know, you don't necessarily have the or I didn't have the, the the following to necessarily even even know that I would get questions back, of course. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, now I, I could say that, yeah, I, I know that if I ask for questions, people will ask me questions. And I've never been a big fan of the mailbag only because uh, um, not that I, I mind ask uh not that, not that I have a problem answering people's questions. I do like answering people's questions, and I try to, as you guys can see in the comments section of San Jose Hockey Now, you know, I always try to get to, to people's questions and comments there, and not so much on Twitter, uh, just because uh, I don't have the time for that. I try to make the time for that too, though. But uh, definitely, though, on San Jose Hockey Now, you know, try to get to anybody to ask me a question on 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 the website, um, and and whatnot, but. So I like answering questions, but the reason why I never like mailbags is I like being in a position of sort of like, how do you say it? Uh, 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 Leading with the topic, you know, being the leader on a topic. To think about something to talk about that uh, hasn't really been talked about or people aren't talking about a lot and to make a, you know, defining strong statement about it, you know. Uh, Those are the articles that I, you know, uh, before when maybe I wasn't writing as much, Uh, I I always try to 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 kind of uh, uh, if I did write, those would be the kind of articles that that I wrote. And um, anyway, uh, uh, nowadays, though, I do have to write write a lot more. So I'm not able to to always do that quite as much as as I did before to sort of be a leader in that. But, you know, a mailbag is is you know is is i guess not being a leader in in, <laughs> in 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 that in that area so that's that's sort of why i never really loved them but uh i'm going to start doing them more now though because i can uh, feel like uh that the i feel like this is a chance to answer the questions that that you guys have um and so um yeah i think it's a, it's a good thing to 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 start doing more especially again for the subscribers of the site
1: yeah exactly and uh we want to make it as we want to make this podcast as interactive as possible. You know, we've been trying to be a little... I've been trying to be a little bit more interactive uh, with our Twitter account. Um, and I feel like this mailbag is going to kind of help lead us in that direction. And how many times have I said, if we have people have any comments or questions, they can always DM us, well, maybe if we make this mailbag a more regular thing, not necessarily like a monthly or just, just a little bit more regular than once ever, then we'll... Uh, we'll be able to be more interactive with our, our listeners and with the subscribers of the San Jose of San Jose Hockey now. So I remember when we when we first started this Shang, we we were talking about possible segment ideas prior to agreeing to sport logic to stat of the week. And I had mentioned mailbag and you shot it down faster than like a professional (laughs) shooter at
0: the Summer Olympics. It was just bam. And I was like, okay, I guess we're never doing that. So, (laughs) yeah, well, um, you know, I I need to learn to be more open minded, I guess. So uh, sorry, guys, if you guys have wanted a mailbag and I've been slow to to have anything like that. And so um, I'm going to be more open minded about it.
1: You know, we're just if, gonna uh, expand
0: our horizons,
1: so if I could change
0: then you know you could change you know maybe we we all can change so there we
1: go There's your motivational quote <laughs> of the week from Shang. Uh, normally we note the date on here, Shang, but um nothing
0: of value is really going to happen oh, well so, Timo Meyer in a tank that that's that's well, yeah a Timo Mayer, value. so we are at all-star weekend and Timo Meyer is the man is it subtle Tina tank the
1: sharks going to tank
0: <laughs> yeah. all the conspiracy <laughs> theories. <laughs>
1: But yeah, it's. Um, I'm just gonna say it anyways. It's the third of February, and uh, we're on a break. We're Finally, on a hockey break, so we can all take a deep breath before we make this final last push uh, to the end of the season and see if the Sharks can hopefully make a playoff berth and do something with themselves. But um, let's uh, let's stop beating around the bush here. Let's just jump into these questions. So the way this is gonna go, I'm gonna kind of, I'm gonna read excuse me, say the person's name, read the question. Yes, yes, username. Not their actual. Username on San Jose Hockey Now. Uh, Fly on the wall. I think there was one in here that was Old Goalie. So when we get to Old Goalie, (laughs) we'll get to that one. But uh, we will use their username on San com as well as their question. And then, of course, Shang will be the one answering. So first question that we have on the docket here is from Chris Braun. And their question is, Is Brent Burns ruining Mario Ferraro's game? So we're starting this one off with a bang already, Shang. (laughs) So is Brent Burns ruining Ferraro's game?
0: And before I answer that too, uh, just to give you guys who are listening sort of an order of how we're going to go about it, uh, I decided uh, it would make sense to go with kind of like Sharks questions right now, like specifically February the 3rd. And then, of course, there are a lot of questions about trade deadlines, so we'll get to that. And then uh, off-season plans with the Sharks, and then we'll get to that. And then, uh, and then finally, we'll, we'll wrap up with things that are you know a little more off the ice with the Sharks, uh, or some personal questions that uh, people ask me. So, so anyway, so is Brett Burns uh, ruining uh, Mario Farrell's game? Uh, no, I do not think that he is. Brent Burns has reined in his game a lot this year, I think, and that's something that uh, I've uh, spoken with 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 scouts at games and just uh, they've been impressed with uh, how much uh, uh, Burns is trying to be more defensive and trying not to expend as much energy, kind of chasing uh, chasing offense. And Burns used to be somebody who roamed a lot offensively, which understandably can be a bit of a challenge for both his partner defenseman, and forwards to be uh, aware of but that's been cut down because of Ferraro and Burns elevated defensive responsibilities which I've talked a a lot about just in terms of um, how many more defensive uh, zone starts that they get and how many less uh, Brent Burns is getting in terms of offensive zone starts than he did uh, before under Peter DeBoer. Um, I will say that It has changed a little bit with Eric Carlson out. Uh, The Sharks probably need uh, Brent Burns to take a few more chances offensively. So uh, caveat there is the next month or so might be a little different. But in general, again, uh, uh, you know, Burns is playing, I think, a much more uh, defensive game than before. And I know where the origin of the question comes from. You know, Brent Burns as a roamer, you know, Brent Burns making defensive mistakes, uh, Brent Burns is not a perfect defensive player by any chance, by any stretch, but he's actually does a lot of good things defensively. And I'm going to get to that in a second. Um, we know how Mario Ferraro helps Brent Burns. And I think that's sort of um, intuitively obvious to, to most people watching. Um, but I think a question that is hard to answer maybe is how does Brent Burns help Mario Ferraro? And so I'm going to try to answer that and to, you know, kind of, close off the question of whether or not Burns is uh, ruining or not helping for game. And so one thing uh, Burns does do well, um, he's underrated in this department, is how he walls off the front of the net. It's hard to get to the front, get your stick in front with Burns standing there. Um, It's not the old days. You know, you don't clear out the front of the net in, in the old way where you get to check people, you get to slash at them. You just don't get to do that anymore. And so what you have to do a lot of times is just you have to be specifically the phrase you have to wall wall off the front. you have to prevent the, a guy who's trying to establish a position in front uh, from being able to establish that position by you again you put your body in front of him and burns is, is uh, it is his size uh, but burns excels at that. Uh, something else that burns still does well too is you know that I think the media assumption is that Ferraro covers for burns a lot. And Ferraro does do that, but Burns also covers for Ferraro a lot too. Uh, Burns still has a very active stick, uh, blocking passes, stick checks, that sort of thing. Uh, there's numbers that I've looked at from Sport Logic, which we, you know, we always talk about a lot. And Burns is still, ta- you know, among the best in the league in, in these departments, uh, which he has been for the last five years or so. And I'll have something about that um, next next week, or later this week, or next week. I'm doing sort of a exhaustive uh, uh, review of the Sharks at the all-star break uh, using a lot of the proprietary stats from Sport Logic, And these are areas that Burns still excels in. And um, like I said, um, I think the assumption is that Ferraro covers for Burns. It goes the other way around too. And obviously, you know, what Brent brings to the table that everybody knows about is the offensive side. And what I mean the offensive side, though, how does that help Ferraro is the times that Burns can uncork those great stretch passes that he makes from time to time right obviously does a lot for uh, easing the defensive burden at that particular moment because you're gaining two three zones with you know one long pass Um, so in total I think that they are a good pair Ferraro is obviously the more active one and so oftentimes you can see Ferraro trying to kill plays along the wall whereas Burns gets to sort of man the front of the net more right and wall off the front uh, with his size and so by and large I find them to be a very effective pair I don't think that either is hurting uh, the the other I know that some of their underlines don't always look so great but I think there's other reasons for that including uh, often uh, getting the toughest matchups Also, too, uh, playing basically half the game, especially with uh, Eric Carlson out. Um, So I think that has more to do with sort of their uh, poor underlying numbers than either player not being good or being done or hurting each other.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's uh, we've seen a lot of I don't want to say like Burns or Ferraro slander, but it's like, you know, you made great points. Specifically about lately, uh, it seems like they're getting put under the microscope a little bit more with um, with Carlson out. Like you said, you're playing close to 30 minutes a game for each of those guys. Like, that's not a very good plan <laughs> as far as like uh, distribution of minutes and time on ice. It's not what you want to do. Um, it doesn't matter how great of a, a player is. That's just not sustainable. So, um, great guys, great group of guys, and now they'll have matching teeth. Um, so, so that that's a good plus. I don't know if you've seen that um, Ferraro's Instagram post. I know I'm running off a tangent here, but Ferraro's Instagram post of his teeth after his uh, little dentist. Oh, there. no, I haven't
0: seen that yet. Actually. Oh, it's okay. gorgeous.
1: He's basically missing the exact same teeth Brent Burns is. And so <laughs> Burns is like, oh, now you're looking much better. <laughs> you're looking much better. That's not the exact quote, but it's something like that. Now I'm just waiting for Ferraro and Burns to do those chunky Kit Kat commercials. So... Uh, again, I don't know if you've seen that, but if you haven't, go to YouTube, look up Brent Burns' Kit Kat commercial, and then have fun and just laugh because it's, it's great. Moving to the next question we got from James R. Their question is, what does Jasper Weatherby need to do to
0: stay in the lineup? The biggest thing in my mind is his pace, playing faster. Uh, We see many times this year, and if you go through the notes that I take for every game, I've mentioned it many times, he gets the puck, but he doesn't make the quickest, most accurate decision, sort of a processing thing. And so what happens is, you know, he doesn't make the the quickest, best decision. Uh, Someone, you know, sticks the puck away from him or he's just forced to skate it up and um, not, you know, and and, then nothing much comes of that sort of offensively. And so there's a processing thing that he has to improve on, which is normal for a rookie. And I think he will improve on that. Uh, there is an argument that he is better served in the AHL. And I think for a deeper team, which the sharks are not, uh, but for a deeper team, that is where he would be and maybe should be. And that's a good place for him to learn and improve that processing thing. Uh, Fortunately or unfortunately for him, he's learning it in the fastest league in the world. And so either he catches up or he doesn't.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a situation. A lot of the young guys for the sharks, these last few years have been put on or put in. Um, So, I mean, we saw it happen with John Leonard last year, or just, it seems as though he's finally getting his legs underneath him as well in the AHL going on a pretty good little scoring binge here down for the Barracuda. So, um, it's just going to come with time. I got faith in in Lord Jasper. Shout out to JD for that name. So. Next question's coming in from our our friends over at the Fin Factor, another uh, San Jose Sharks podcast and newsletter. They got a whole show Pretty great background, really dumps on mine, but you know, this is still a work in progress. You know, no one sees this. There's yeah, no, no one sees our yet. background, so
0: yeah. we don't need to go all out on that one. Yeah. The budget is not for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Come on, DraftKings. <laughs> Crank it up a little bit. The budget is for Mushu on this show. Yeah.
1: So their question is: have either Megna or Milash made enough of an impression to stick around the big club? And then enough to put Shimek on the trade block?
0: Jacob Megna, I think so. Uh, Bob Bugner was recently very, very complimentary of of, uh, Megna. Personally, I've liked Megna's game uh, a bit myself. Um, There is issues with puck moving with with him, but there always will be. There's a reason why he's not in NHL regularly before now. But uh he skates pretty well. He's long. He's a good defender, which has always been his uh his trademark. Uh Nicholas Melosh. no. I don't I don't think Melosh has done enough to stick around for sure to be a surefire guy uh that you you, you leave on an NHL roster. If you notice if you want to compare Megna Melosh. Magna has played ahead of Molosh at pretty much every turn this season in terms of playing time or being elevated, right? When Mario Farrell went out, um, of course, handedness is something to do with it, but it's Jacob Magna that gets the plum assignment next to Brent Burns. Um, in terms of Schimmick, uh, Schimmick has been on a trade block for quite some time, you know, go back to the to the summer. Um, the Athletic, Kevin Kerr's reported that 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 he was on it, but to me there wasn't much of a story because basically everybody on the sharks uh was available more or less at that point besides you know maybe a few of the obvious like okay like thomas hurdle maybe was quote-unquote untouchable you know a guy like that but most anybody else on the sharks if you gave a a reasonable offer uh, or offer that too good to be true uh, doug wilson would have taken that (laughs) so anyway um I think the same holds now. I, I don't think the Sharks uh, the sharks wouldn't mind getting rid of uh, Shimmick's uh, cap hit. Uh, the problem, of course, is that even though Shimmick has had an okay season, um, better than last year, uh, Team C, you know, Shimmick is still not playing regularly a, a lot of times, right? A, a lot of times Bob Booner is choosing to go with a Milash, with other guys ahead of a Shimmick. And so we're talking about a bottom pairing guy at best with a bad contract. And yeah, I know Shimmick was top four a couple of years ago, but you know, I don't, I don't think anybody's falling for that. So, so you're not going to get a lot for him. And he does have some value where he's at now. So a healthy Sharks lineup, right? A healthy Sharks lineup, including Carlson, uh, right now. You know, you're gonna have Ferraro, Burns, you're gonna have Middleton, Carlson, and then uh, Vlasic, uh, Shimmick, and Magna competing to share those uh, bottom pairing minutes. In my mind. You know, it could be Malash. Uh, they don't trust Merkley enough yet. Sorry, guys. And who knows if Knishoff plays this year at all. Um, so anyway, my overall answer is yes. If somebody offers you something, seventh-round pick, anything, just to get the contract off your books, yeah, you can you can do it and probably throw in Malash in, kind of in his uh, depth lineup spot, and uh, you'll be all right. Uh, but, uh, you know, Shimick still does good things, uh, so... Uh, you know, it's one of those things where I just don't see that there's going to be much of an interest still, even though he's he's been a little bit better uh, this year. And there is some value in just sort of keeping him, you know. And yeah, and to add, just a to remind too, uh, you guys uh, probably all know this, but Shimmick's contract, I think, is twenty until 2023-24, and he's owed $2.25 million, which is a bit much for a bottom-pairing guy. Um and so yeah, uh, I I think you know someone had mentioned him as a sort of a alternative to uh uh Ben uh, Ben Shuriat, but uh, you know I don't I don't think Jimmy is close to that though, and so uh, that's just that's just my my opinion. So like yeah, you're not you're not getting much from if you are getting anything. If you do get that minimal offer, yes, you take it. Um, but I don't know if that offer is there. Yeah, and
1: you know, we, we've we seen Schimmick fall from uh, Brent Burns' trusted line mate down to kind of where he's at now. So, um, if anything, you'd kind of want Schimmick, as a Sharks fan, you want Schimmick to try to find a way to get back to his uh, back alley brawler type of hockey brand that he's used to intimidate people for, for years now. So oh, he's I think trying was... and
0: you know, he he's shown flashes of it here and there this season. Um but to me it's still telling though that given the choice though that he's still sort of out of the lineup. Uh, you know, Bob Bungner is leading him out of a lot of his lineups. And, again, he's expensive. So, you know, if he was at, at making a million, it, he'd be a lot more tradable. A team might be like, hey, you know, I kind of like this guy. Maybe Bob's you know, just not giving him a chance. So we're going to give him a chance uh, in our bottom pairing or whatever. But at $2 million for two more years, hmm, I think it's going to be a tough sell.
1: Yeah, no, uh, no disagreements there. Next question we have coming in from Jaden says, clearly the Sharks have benefited by playing much tighter defensively this season. But do you think their offensive woes would be at least somewhat fixed by different or better coaching? And then um, the second question they had was, obviously only having three legit top six forwards makes things difficult. But should the blame for poor scoring be placed more on that or on Bugner?
0: So, I'm not a creative enough offensive of mind to fully answer this question. Um, there, you know, all, very well could be ways to kind of unlock what the Sharks do have in terms of talent and get uh, a lot more goals from them and without uh, losing the defensive emphasis. But You'll remember though that Bob Boogner did try to open up the offense last year and the results, were, the results were disastrous uh, offensively and defensively. And uh, I've mentioned these stats a few times, but just to repeat them last year, the sharks averaged 2.61 goals per game. I think that was um, the bottom 10 and they, they were giving up 3.5 goals per game, which was second to last in the league uh, this year. The Sharks are right now at the All-Star break up to 2.72 goals per game. So they've slightly upgraded the offense there a little bit. And the big difference is the goals against has dropped to 3.07. Um, so, you know, trying to get under that that magic three mark there. But that's a big difference. Almost half a goal a game that, uh, that they've cut down. And so my hypothetical here is... If you give guys a little more free reign last year offensively and they can't score and they can't defend, how much of that is on Bob? Um, You know, I think last year Bob Boogner placed a bet that Eric Carlson just had a bad year in 2019-20, that Brent Burns just had a down year in 2019-20, that Timo Meyer just had a down year, uh, Kevin LeBanc in 2019-20, right? And pretty much every one of those guys I just mentioned came back in 2021 and had a worse year. <laughs> I think <laughs> Burns might have had a slightly better year. Uh, LeBanc had a slightly better year, but not a very good year either last year, right? Um, so again, how much of that is on is on Bob? You know, you know, kind of hoping that guys have that had shown an offensive track record would really come back strong. Um, you know, not the not 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 the most ridiculous bet, really, last year, but it really didn't work out, right? And so my theory, you know, I don't know this for sure, but my theory is that at that point, you know, Bob didn't get fired uh, last offseason. He just kind of figured, well, the offensive guys I have aren't really great at offense anymore. <laughs> you know, not dominant anymore, at least. You know, they might be good, but they're not dominant, and so how are you going to win? Well, we just better defend Then We just better, uh, better defend way harder than last year and risk a lot less than we did the, the year before. And, you know, as I've written about the team more or less bought in and that includes the Eric Carlson's and Brent Burns to their credit. Um, and so anyway, uh, like I said, a different coach could uh, uh, possibly unlock more offense without losing defense, but it had to be a very, very good coach. It's not something that I can really conceive in my mind, ex- how exactly I do this with this roster. Uh, and I think, and I do think Bob is a good coach. Um, so uh, if if you are in your mind, moving on from Bob Bugner to a more offensive coach, uh, really you have to make sure that the guy you're hiring has concrete ideas. On how to improve San Jose's offense without losing their defensive success, you know, you always see people always throw out like names. Oh, we should hire this guy, we should hire this guy, blah 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 blah. You know, guys that are sound exciting, you know, because they've never coached an angel before, or they're a they coach in Europe, they've had a lot of success there, all that kind of stuff, right? You know, that that's fine and all, but you know, it has to come down to the the kind of the technical the. The, really, the hard kind of hockey ideas that like are you know even beyond uh, my my grasp a little bit you know. And the question again, you know, how do you improve the offense without losing the defensive structure, and like really improve the offense? That's a good question. Um, and like I said, maybe possible with a different coach, but I'm not convinced.
1: Yeah, we had a whole episode about Bob Uecker and whether or not he should be on the hot seat or. The Sharks try to get rid of them, and we kind of came to that same conclusion. It's like, given the current situation, given the age and the the players that the Sharks have, it's going to be hard-pressed to find somebody out there currently right now that can produce better results uh, than what they're getting right now. Next, our buddy Alex. We all love Alex here. <laughs> we know Alex. He's got a slew of questions here for us and Shang, you want me to just read these back to back to back, correct?
0: Uh yeah, these are all sort of uh uh um tied sort of in related, together so. it seems. Yeah. Gotcha.
1: All right, just wanted to make sure with you. So judging from this moment, do you think the sharks are sellers at the trade deadline?
0: Uh let me just jump in on this one actually, because this one yeah. is a little separate. The answer
1: is no, not right
0: now at this moment, because the sharks are in the, the playoff race in the moment.
1: Okay easy question to answer there. <laughs> and next one is, is trading our current veteran third line feasible and replacing them with Halbwax, Leonard, and Reedy possible, or at least some permutation of that? And would these veterans like Cogliano, Benino, and Long Beach native Magneto get much, if anything at all, at the trade deadline?
0: And yeah, my answer would be absolutely not in terms of a third line of uh, Walks, Leonard and Reedy. Uh, I think that their line would get murdered at the NHL level. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way uh, to these players who are actually there. They are talented, but they're just not ready. You know, the NHL game is not just about who skates the fastest or who can you know stick out their way in a phone booth like a Walks can or who shoots the hardest like a Leonard. Um, there's a lot more to the game than just that and uh, a Leonard Reed line, which I know you uh, just use as an example there, Alex, but a line of basically three rookies. uh, That line uh, is not even an angel caliber fourth line right now. And I don't want to overstate the case for uh, Cogliano, Bonino, and Nieto. Um, They're not special, you know, uh, uh, at at the angel level necessarily anymore. Um, On a top team, you know, on a really, really good uh, cup containing team, I can see Cogliano, Benino, Nieto being a very good fourth line, but of course, on the Sharks, uh, who are lacking in forward death, they're the third line. Um, but I think overall, though, uh, you know, this question kind of uh, reflects it. You know, I, I've, you know, I've, I've probably said this in many different ways before that there should be a lot more respect paid to guys like Cogliano and company here who do a lot of the, I know this is hockey speak, but a lot of the details, you know, win the one-on-one puck battles. They defend hard and smart, responsible with the puck. Even if they don't have that, you know, if you put out a line of a Hobblewalks Leonard Reedy, occasionally they are going to do something offensively that might wow you at the NHL level. Uh, but on a night-to-night, minute-to-minute basis, they will absolutely get killed at the angel level, especially at, at the third line where they're playing 15 minutes a night and often against the top line. Uh, but like I said, that's not even an angel copper fourth line right now. Um, so the, uh, also the other question about what uh, Cogliano, Benito and Nieto might get the deadline, which might come. I think uh, we might answer that a little later, but at, not a lot. Like I said, I don't want to over defend those guys too. These guys aren't, aren't the best third line in the league. They might arguably be arguably be one of the worst third lines in the league. I haven't, compared them with other third lines. But look, I know that Cogliano should be on a fourth line these days. Nieto is, uh, I think, a very good fourth line player. (laughs) Uh, Nick Menino in his heyday was one of the best, maybe the best third line center in the league, but that was five, six years ago. Uh, So I understand that where these guys are at now with their game is, you know, is replaceable. But it is not replaceable, I think, by anybody in the Shark system, really. Um, the only one that's sort of emerged I can see kind of filling in and being better in this spot and kind of makes sense, right? Because obviously you're not going to put like a, you don't want to at least put like a Balsers down here or a Barabanov down on the third line, right? But a guy who makes immediate sense might be Noel Gregor. He's Noel Gregor. Uh, yes, he has some of the offensive flash, maybe not the finish, obviously, but he has the speed, all that <laughs> stuff, right? He's a hard shot. Uh, but if you look at Gregor's game from year one, uh, two years ago, right, his first year in the NHL to now, the details, it's such a huge difference. So I'm, again, the details I mentioned, the one-on-one battles, defending hard and smart, being responsible with the puck, uh, things, things like that. Um, so maybe throwing an Gregor in there to kind of improve that mix on the third line, maybe throw a Cogliano or Nieto down to the fourth line. That'll help things out. Something like that can kind of make sense to me. But again, though, um, uh, kind of all youth, uh, a San Jose sharks, third line sharks don't have that talent.
1: Yeah. And it's unfortunate, but, um, that's just the unfortunate reality of, of the senses that they're, they're still kind of working with, a. Now, i've preached about it all year right they need depth scoring yada 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 and we've talked about like how they've slowly upgraded you know i would say this third line is significantly better than a third line of years past but um
0: but it's not saying much though i mean let's, yeah. let's be honest too so yeah i
1: mean you're going dylan Gambrell. i mean they tried noah gregor at 3c before but that just tells you how like the bottom of the barrel scraping that they were doing these last two years um an improvement in general but uh not enough to warrant
0: anything significant at the trade deadline. So
1: next, yeah, let me question.
0: add to uh, like, not enough to make the sharks a, a true contender. And I just want to throw a more respect on Cogliano Bonino's n- name. Uh, if the sharks, I got these guys in 2016 uh, let's say they, they signed these guys magically at free agency this past off season. That's the Cogliano and Bonino that you got uh 27, 28 year old Bonino uh, Cogliano was still scoring you 15 goals or whatnot. Sharks to me automatically are a playoff team. Like Mm I've no doubt. You know, that 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 is a rock solid third line. Uh, one of the best in the league. Those players were so good back then. But, you know, uh, age and time, you know, obviously uh, uh, take their toll on players, but full respect to those guys for how good they were and also even how good they are now. Still uh, smarter than than most of the team and they play harder than most of the team, which is why uh, why they are still important to the mix of this Sharks team. That's still trying to figure out kind of um, who they are competitively. Yeah, and I think it's
1: funny you say that because they've been referred to on the Sharks broadcast, uh, your broadcast, actually, specifically, Shang, the NBC Sports broadcast, uh, calls them the identity line because uh, the Sharks team is a very gritty, hard-to-play-against team, and that line is probably the most gritty of the bunch. You know, good luck trying to... Establish any sort of true offensive zone pressure against that third line. Yeah, they're not going to flash offensively, but that's a very good defensive first third line trio there. Uh, really gritty, really hard on the puck, really good on the boards. So credit to them. Like you said, uh, they deserve it, and that's why Benino's got those Stanley Cup rings. So yep. Next question coming in from I believe this is Chris Boucher. Sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly. Again, this is for everyone's name or username that I pronounce incorrectly. I apologize. Their question is, when the Sharks come back from their all-star slash Olympic break, kind of Olympic break, what would it take for them to be sellers, buyers, or to just stay pat and roll the dice?
0: Right, and this is a pretty simple one to answer. It just depends on how they come out of the break, obviously, right? The Sharks are basically a 500 team right now. They have 16 games before the trade deadline, so uh, if the Sharks lose the next 16 games or they lose 13 on the next 16, then they're sellers, right? If they win 13 of the next 16, maybe, just maybe the Sharks are buyers. And the Sharks kind of stay where they're at, uh, you know, fighting for that playoff spot, competitive, 500-ish, maybe a little better than 500, then maybe that's a little more stand pat
1: and we've got a couple of other questions from them uh expanding off of that so let's say they are buyers right uh what are some good targets for our evervescent and oh oh so needed depth scoring
0: you know i I think that the sharks if they do come to a position where they want to add uh, they're obviously still not going to trade their first round pick. Um, you know they still want to replenish the system, uh, so I don't think they're going to they're going to trade a lot. But I can see them trading a, a lower you know a mid range pick or mid range prospect. So you want you want to identify a forward that might go for that that isn't going to necessarily command the first. So you know you're going to go away from the the very top of the class forwards. But a guy like a Cali uh, of Seattle could be helpful uh he's a center uh, he can maybe push nick benino down the lineup even though he's not as as good on at the faceoff draw as benino is but yeah maybe he can push a benino down the lineup um seattle i think was a team that's going to be motivated to sell so kind of makes sense and they're not going to be worried about you know, another guy that we looked at was a raquel but you know raquel and anaheim and also anaheim is still very much in a playoff race so you know, hard to see them maybe wanting to deal with San Jose, but yarn croak, uh, could make sense. I don't think Seattle cares about trading in division at this point. And Max Domi in Columbus, um, a little bit expensive, but the sharks do have the cap space and uh, not having the greatest season, you know, m- maybe can be had for cheaper than usual could be sort of a repeat though of a kind of a Kevin LeBanc situation where a guy who is a little more offensive maybe doesn't quite fit in. so that could be problematic, but uh, you know get a guy of that talent for on the cheap uh, maybe take a chance on that. So I think those are the kind of targets we're talking about uh, for the sharks if they are indeed buyers, uh, sort of the second layer of uh of, of forwards available at the deadline uh, guys who are going to be free agents at the end of the season so you're not uh, you know not taking on too much contract or commitment uh that would be my guess
1: and just to uh, remind everyone as far as trading goes the sharks don't have a second round pick in the upcoming draft so uh these are all like you said shane going to be mid-round acquisitions if the Sharks' name is in the trade deadline as buyers it's, it's going to be a Depth move only, whether it be forward or defense.
0: That'd I'm be my sure. guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't yeah. think you're going to see them in on a, a Jake Chicharín or whoever you know, whoever else is the, the top forward of this deadline, not named you know Tomás <laughs> Hertl. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking
1: of uh, Tomás Hertl at the deadline, uh, the next question from them was: If they're sellers, who do you think goes, and what are their returns?
0: Yeah, so this is just sort of guesses on all these guys, but um, obviously if if Hurdle goes, um, uh, well, if Hurdle goes, uh, chances are it's because he didn't want to stay because it's still my belief that the Sharks want to keep him. Um, So actually, it is conceivable that if Hurdle goes and he chooses to go because he wants to go to a place where he's closer to winning um doesn't necessarily mean the sharks blow it up right i mean you could see the sharks playing well still staying hanging hanging around right hurdle basically wanting like telling the sharks hey i don't think i'm going to come back and they trade him but they keep these other players because they're still playing relatively well that's kind of an unlikely scenario obviously and the sharks playing well without tomas Hurdle, you know the odds are kind of against that um but that's conceivable, but anyway, though, let's say though that the trading of hurdles like a domino and guys start to go right. So Berabanov is a UFA, obviously. I think Berabanov could fetch Mike. I'm guessing like a second, third in that range. I don't think he's gonna get a first, but Berabanov does uh, offer some. And if he has to keep it up, obviously, 16, 16 more games. But he's had an excellent start this season, and um, he is a little one dimensional. You obviously, you know, you're not gonna use him on a PK. He's not, you know, that much used defensively, but uh, he is good offensively. He's a good playmaker. He's strong on a puck. I think that is underrated about him. And um, so I, th- I can see a team kind of uh, adding, you know, he would be the kind of player, you know, the other way around. The Sharks were buyers. That would be the kind of player that you would want the Sharks to acquire uh, for it like that, who might be a little cheaper. Um Cogliano is another UFA and for sure I would think a team would want him but again you're not gonna get a lot for him uh sixth fifth maybe just throwing that out there uh obviously a, a guy who can help any team in the league's uh fourth line I think in any team's uh PK uh but the offensive upside is very limited there uh guys who are not UFAs uh Nick Bonino and Matt Nieto um again uh can help teams. Benino might be a little expensive. I think that around the league he's going to be seen more as a 4C. Um, so $2 million for your 4C is a little bit pricey, but a guy of that experience, that sort of uh, pedigree, uh, if you have the space for him, he's a good luxury to have because you put him at 4C, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about a guy's competitiveness. You don't have to worry about is he going to throw himself in front of a shot in a playoff game? Nick Benito is going to do that. <laughs> so uh so actually i can see uh a team that has the space for a 4c uh of that a bit of a high cost for a 4c but uh, uh a, a team that that uh that really wants you know a team that has you know i think he'd be perfect for not necessarily tampa bay because they have a belmar but uh before they got a belmar you know tampa bay nick benino would have been a good fit uh so a team like that, you know, uh, I'm not sure if I'm just throwing out a, a name. I don't know their 4C situation. So, but a team like Colorado that is pretty stacked, you know, maybe just needs an extra piece there to really, like, you know, work around, improve their team around the edges. So that's, that's uh, I can see a team really being interested in Nick, Nick Menino despite his high cost and costing $2 million next year. A Nieto is, is much cheaper than Bonino, so that's going to help. But Nieto is a winger, not quite as valued as a Bonino in the big picture of things. Uh, but so I can see uh, either Bonino and Nieto, uh, maybe late picks, kind of like a Cogliano. Uh, Bonino may a little higher, like I said. I think sort of that Stanley Cup, uh, uh, that pedigree, and also, too, that he's a center. Um, and he does have some kind of... Uh, uh, he has experience playing up in the lineup. If you need to put him there in a pinch, even though that hasn't uh, worked out great for the Sharks this year, but I can see actually Benino drawing a little bit more interest just for all those different things I mentioned. Um, where he talked about shimmick and and uh and what he could bring back i actually don't think shimmick would bring back anything so i think the Sharks are really stuck with him to be honest um and then the the the, the last guy uh, also not a ufa is a uh, james reimer uh, got a couple of years left and james reimer i could see you know the goaltending market is usually pretty cool around the deadline i think uh but i could see him uh, just throwing it out there mid-round pick maybe at best um Obviously, his performance, you know, he's been great for the Sharks. So uh, he probably deserves more than a mid... You'd probably want to get more for, uh, than a mid-round pick for a guy who's your number one goalie at this point. Um, but like I said, the goaltending market can be pretty cool at times. And whoever's trading for it, James Reimer is not trading for him to be their starter, uh, probably. And it's probably going to be a playoff team that wants some insurance, kind of like when the Sharks traded for Reimer in the first place in 2015-16. Um, so... That's, so, he's not going to command a lot, basically. Uh, you'll probably be very disappointed <laughs> by, by what you get for him. Oh, and of course, I missed the big, the, the kingpin of them all, uh, Tomas Hurdle. And I've written articles about it, so you can look back on it. But I would guess uh, uh, Hurdle, Hurdle should command at least one premium asset, if not two. Um, a premium asset, meaning first round pick or a top prospect. Um, so I could see him getting maybe 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 those maybe maybe two things two two of those things a first round pick and a top prospect. Um, that's that's sort of the high high end of expectations, but we've seen it it has happened before in these kind of trades, um, and these trades are pretty rare. A guy in his late twenties, uh, surefire first line uh, first line scorer, center too. Uh, rarely, usually it's wingers that become available at this time. Rarely a center. And Mm -hmm. so I think all those things combine to uh, I would expect, again, at least one premium asset first round pick or top prospect and maybe two. And if you just get one premium asset, then you probably get a second like more like a high mid-range asset you know uh mark stone trade being being a a example um where the senators got a top 25 prospect at the time in eric brandstrom wasn't quite panned out but at the time though he was very highly rated and a second round pick for a stone which was you know looking back now looks a little bit low a little bit light um but if you pick the right guy that's the point where like you had to pick the right guy as your centerpiece the Senators picked brand brandstrom hasn't worked out uh, maybe the sharks pick somebody uh you know <laughs> who will pan out yeah use uh use vegas
1: as an example and take um oh man i just blanked on his name i can't believe it <laughs> probably one of their their highest rated prospects right now and well
0: you know they that. they're they're a little bit uh uh, uh tapped out obviously because of training for for eichel and I don't yeah. I'm not really sure how the cap space works up. He's already got to trade things to fit ICO when Eichel comes back from his injury. But uh I think the, the remaining prospects are left in Vegas. Maybe Korzak uh, on defense is, is pretty uh, highly no, no, regarded. No, no, I remembered it now. Brisson, Brendan Brisson. Oh yeah, Brisson too. Yeah, Brisson too yeah. is 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 up there too. But um blind mate of Thomas Bordalo. So but they yeah, they they traded their best one in Krebs already though, so
1: yeah, exactly. Um but yeah, uh, the that's don't want to see that happen not even going to talk about it hurdles staying sorry (laughs) and then the final uh the final kind of insulation to this three-part question here is if the sharks do stay pat does that indicate barbanov and hurdle are having positive contract discussions
0: um if they keep hurdle and they do not sign him uh at the deadline yes that my prediction or my guess is that means that the sharks are confident that they will sign him i think the sharks uh, are aware and are cognizant of the fact that Hurdle is too valuable for them to lose for nothing. The Sharks don't have enough talent uh, and pieces throughout the system for them to just lose Hurdle for nothing. Um, so yeah, if the, the Sharks uh, do uh, do pass through the deadline without trading him, I assume that means that they think Hurdle is going to come back uh, in, a, in a, uh, during the summer. Bear is not as important. Bear Bonhoff is a good player, uh, but let's not, you know, he's not in the hurdle kind of discussion. So, um, yeah. Uh, so whether or not they, they you know, they stand pat, you know, I, they, they haven't even opened up conversations with Bear Bonhoff as far as I know. And, um, you know, I, I think they're sort of in a wait and see mode with, with, uh, with the Bear Bonhoff, So, um, and, yeah, uh, we also got a similar question from uh, Steve Edit. Uh, so thank you so much. Uh, Steve Edit asked, if Hurdle gets traded, who do you think follows him? And I think that uh, we answered that uh, with uh, Chris's questions there. Yeah, basically,
1: it's, it's just circumstantial at that point. You know, if you're getting high value for any of your guys. So Hey, we want to take a quick break to thank this week's sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. And don't worry, if Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings daily fantasy football contests for Super Bowl 56. It's simple. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use promo code THPN, get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. 21 or over minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See draftkings.com slash for full list of requirements and state specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited gambling problem. Call 1-800 gambler in Tennessee. Call or text the TN red line 1-800-889-9789 in Connecticut. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 8 HOPE NY or text HOPE NY 369 Next one coming up that we have from Bryce Campbell it says again trading hurdle. Why are we Why are we doing this to each other, guys? Why can't we just
0: <laughs> because it can happen? <laughs> He's, <laughs> He's in need Hawaii. To steal like, yourself for know. that possibility.
1: So. Yeah, yeah. I, know. I guess we're just ready for the inevitable. It feels like, but says, trading hurdle all but guarantees another brutal season next year. That I agree with. Is Doug Wilson around if that happens? And does that point to increased odds of hurdle getting an eight-figure AAV on an extension rather than being dealt? Or is that just my blind optimism taking over?
0: Well, uh, if if I'm following, uh, I, I think the idea of this question from Bryce is that uh, Doug is going to try to offer extension to save his job, kind of, right? That that, that That's what I'm understanding from this. And uh, my opinion is that Doug is safe, uh, independent of a hurdle decision and, and what happens uh, with him. So um, I think what Doug has been trying to do, and we've talked about this a lot, is that he is trying to kind of win with what he's got and run out kind of the, the, the contracts, the long kind of not great contracts. Uh, he's trying to do kind of a balancing act, you know, he's not going for the straight rebuild. He's not going all in. Um, so I don't think a hurdle kind of uh decision either way really plays, plays into it. So, um, so yeah, so no, I, I don't think that Doug is going to offer a hurdle contract to try to save his job. If that's sort of the, the, the question, I think uh, Doug Wilson will offer a hurdle contract uh, because he still thinks that the Sharks can win with this core, and also he wants Tomas Hurdle around to be a part of that. And so do I. So let's get the deal done, Doug.
1: <laughs> Hope you're safe, by the way. <laughs> Next question coming in from Scott. I'm going to butcher this last name. I think it's Galbraith. It might be Galbraith because there's an I in there. But Scott, I apologize. What is your opinion on the future of San Jose's goaltending in a post Reimer world? And do you feel DW and company are envisioning a Hill plus Ben Gaudreau slash Melnichuk tandem? Or do you think they'll continue to use free agency to fill their goaltending?
0: Okay. Well, let's assume that uh, we're sticking with Reimer's current contract, right? Which expires next year. And, at that point, uh, Goudreau should be in the AHL. I don't think that they're going to plan to rush him. You know, Goudreau going to be uh, twenty, uh, turning 21, right, as you mentioned, Nick, to me earlier. Uh, so that that's a guy that should be getting reps at the AHL. Uh, Melnuchuk, I don't believe, has quite progressed as Hope. So I'm not sure if he's going to be in the plans at that point uh Reimer will be 35 at the end of his current contract so it is conceivable for him to come back especially if he you know performs as he has in the first half and he continues that over the next season and a half but yeah free agency so free agency can work to supplement hill just like Reimer has uh but of course the big question is if hill pans out I and mean, that's, that's still very much an open question too but uh, in terms of what the structure and envisioning or hoping for uh for sure Trading that second-round pick for Hill, they are hoping that Hill is the man, or at least uh, 1A, 1B a a man. (laughs) And the second guy uh, could be a Reimer. It could be another free agent. It could come in a trade, uh, you know, a lower-cost trade. Um, But, no, I don't think it'll be because I think Goodroves will be too young, and I don't think it'll be Melnichuk because I don't think Melnichuk has taken the step forward that they want.
1: Yeah, goaltending seems to have always been the big question mark for the Sharks. So um, they kind of, you know, they traded that second round pick, as I said it earlier, for Aiden Hill. So um, I'd I'd expect that leash to be significantly longer for him as opposed to AHL goaltenders. And like you said, uh, the Melnitchuk situation is just a big question mark as well. So um, goaltending is always something to keep our eyes on, especially as Sharks fans. So. Always keep our eyes on goaltending. Anything can happen. No one saw the Aiden Hill trade coming in. I don't even think you, Shang, saw that coming in. Like that was just kind of out of left field. We kind of knew Arizona liked Aiden Hill, and they had planned on moving on from other guys. But um, yeah, I digress.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure though. No, uh, I do. I do remember uh, Hill was a little bit of surprise insofar as just that. Um, I thought the the sharks would sort of sort of aim higher in terms of just like reputation. That's not a slight on on Hill, and uh, yeah, he, you know he he definitely uh, you know he, I think uh, Hill was sort of that dark horse guy that is sort of anointed, yeah, <laughs> out, exactly. out, out out of nowhere for uh, for a number one job, and uh, right now it's not looking like a like a like like a like a win yet for the sharks, no. but.
1: As with almost everything with the Sharks, we must have patience. So, Next question is coming from, and I'm going to try my best here because I think I know what country of origin this name comes from, but I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to try to say it here. It's uh, Jacob Padelic.
0: Yeah, and I want to say name. that these, this is going to be the fun portion of it because uh, of this podcast because we're asked very hypothetical questions here oh, and yeah. trying to turn this Sharks team into cup contender next year, which is... Uh, Tall order, but go ahead. <laughs> yes, yeah, st- strap in, folks. We've got some crazy
1: <laughs> hypotheticals. The theory crafting is underway. So Jacob asks, if Vlasic's cap hit was to magically disappear next season, LTIR, Kof who would you sign or trade for this offseason to try to make the Sharks a legit playoff team next season? Not in two years, but next season, they're a legit playoff team.
0: Yeah, so this is something that uh, Nick and I talked uh, talked over quite a bit, and we crunched numbers. Um, We're not totally sure, and we threw a lot of estimated numbers there. You know, with keeping Hurdle and uh, Ferraro's RFA contract, so a bunch of hypothetical numbers there, but we believe that. After all that, uh, the Sharks are left with, you know, some of the basics that, that we got to get re signed, like a Hurdle and a The Sharks are left at about $10 million to, to play with, with needing a couple of players. And so, again, your question is how to make the Sharks a legit playoff team next year, right? We're not, we're not talking about a long-term kind of contender, right? And so the obvious thing that stands out to me is that the Sharks need forward depth and not just a one star forward. I know that Johnny Gaudreau and Philippe Forsberg are going to be UFAs. Um, but number one, I think it becomes a bidding war, you know, Calgary Nashville want to keep their guys or other teams can get into it. And then you start to talk about spending 10, 11, 12 million on a Johnny Gaudreau. I don't know if that's a, that's a great uh, great price or a Philippe Forsberg. You pay a 10 million for a guy who's having a career year this year great player i don't know if you want to pay 10 million or 9 million or whatever for him Um, so my notion for how to make the sharks an instant playoff team next year is to basically make a brand new third line and you can do that in the ufa market and spend uh, basically you can get two very good players uh for the price of one great player and what uh, I, I thought made sense for the Sharks team. Of course, there's a lot of what ifs here, ifs that need to pan out here with the Sharks team. Uh, you have to assume that Eric Carlson comes back next year and has a great season again, that Brent Burns uh, does, you know, kind of holds, uh, holds serve. Um, you assume that Timo Meyer is still a dominant player like he has been this year. You assume that Thomas Hurdle has a good, you know, Logan Couture, all the usual suspects, they have good seasons, right? So we're assuming all that. So I think that the answer is to rebuild your third line, uh, push down a Nick Bonino, Matt, you know, that type to a fourth line. I think they would make a killer fourth line, uh, like, like I mentioned already. And so who I would sign is probably uh, Andre Pallott, uh on the wing. Also Riley Smith is kind of in that same price price range and at center uh, I would, I would target a Vincent Trocheck or Andrew Copp. A uh, Copp, especially, is interest in me because uh, he's a little less offensive than a Trocheck. You know, Trocheck is probably more of a top, you know, a second line center. Uh Copp is maybe a little more ideal as a third line center, so it might be a little cheaper too, and kind of fit more to the style you need. You know, you have. Tomas Hurdle and Logan Couture to maybe handle a little more of the offensive load. And you have a guy like Andrew Kopp. It's sort of like acquiring a Nick Bonino in his prime kind of. And so, uh, so with that sort of 10 million ish, uh, that's who I would target if I, again, just to make the Sharks a playoff team next year. And assuming that uh, Vlasic uh, gets uh, some of Marian Hossa's, uh skin eating disease or whatever that is. And uh, LTRR, you know. So,
1: it's all. It all just comes down to the scoring depth at that point. It seems like a reoccurring theme here. You need depth to continue to try to push for the playoffs. So, I think it's interesting we keep rehashing the same subject here. But it's well, it's
0: kind of like focusing on you know the sharks are not a perfect team, right? Like they can improve their goaltending. James Reimer is a good goalie, not a great goalie. Uh, their defense is old. Uh, their defense is you know not a maybe not the greatest defensive defensive you know, group you know with burns and, and carlson um so you can improve there too but i think that you know if you have a finite amount of money to spend and you have a little more to spend here obviously uh if you uh if wasic is 86 there um but yeah so you got to kind of choose where to concentrate your money on and so for me it would be up front but that's 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 uh, uh, that that's 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 uh, that's sort of my my guess at it. You know, someone else might be like, hey, sign Chris Letang or something like that. But, you know, that's a, <laughs> a different way to approach the problem. So, well, let's let's crank up the
1: hypotheticals even more. We have another question in from Alex.
0: Yeah. And, and yeah, this this one, because it's so related to the question before. So 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 we we thought uh, that uh, we would we would tackle this one, too
1: what would be the strategy to make the Sharks a top 10 team next year? Not just right, and, playoffs, but top 10.
0: Right. And so the, the thinking here is, is, is more that, you know, you have to keep a Vlasic then, right? So we don't get the hypothetical Vlasic money, right? A Vlasic money off the books. But we're assuming that the Sharks win uh, uh, or they're, they're able to successfully terminate Evander Kane's contract. Uh, or if there is a settlement that the sharks still, you know, they they get a lot of cap relief there, no matter what. So that that's a big assumption here. But uh, Alex, uh, for your answer, uh, you know, what would be my strategy to make the sharks a top ten team next year? Well, obviously, a lot of hope <laughs> and a lot of things that that we mentioned before. Uh, Eric Carlson is healthy and has another great season. Uh, Timo Meyer is just as dominate, dominant next season as he has been this season, right? One guy I didn't mention before in the previous question, uh, William Eklund. So William Eklund has to come in in this scenario on an entry-level deal, and he has to be automatic 50-point guy, so automatic second-line quality player at least, if not a first-line guy. So we uh, crunched some of the numbers again, keeping Vlasic's contract. Uh, and so at this point, then the Sharks, we think, will have about four or five million to play with. You know, you can work work with that figure a little bit up and down. Uh, but so if I had to add one thing to the Sharks to give them a chance to be a top 10 team next year, it would be, again, to add a solid center to, to push Bonino down. This is no discredit overall to Bonino, but I do see him more as a very good Fourth line center now and not necessarily a third line guy. And so let's say you add a cop. And, you know, I don't know if you can afford cop at that figure, but let's say he is willing to sign, let's say a five, you know, five per or something like that. Right. And so, that sort of gives you in theory, uh, the nuclear, the sort of the, 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 foundation of three pretty solid lines. Uh, let's say it remains, uh, you know, Meyer hurdle and Barabanov. We have kind of Barabanov in, in our figure resigning him. Uh, you know, we're, we put a 3 million figure on that, which might be a little low, but I think it'll be about that in that, in that range for him. Uh, and then a the second line that, you know, is around built around a Couture and Dolan, and we know Dolan's an RFA with arbitration rights, but still an RFA. So he shouldn't be overly expensive unless he you know blows up the rest of the season. Um,
1: and then you have That's a third line
0: sort of a duel of, uh, of uh, Eklund, Cop, Or, you know, again, you can play with these. But each line now has two legit – again, this is very much assuming that Eklund comes in and is uh, you know top player. But, uh, you know, so your top three forward lines have two legitimate kind of, uh, you know uh, – Uh, scorers, offensive players on there, but also a good mix of uh, two-way quality too in Eklund and Kopp and Hurdle, and Couture. Um, And then, so then we look down to the defense and the hope there. Obviously, Carlson keeps it up. Uh, Burns, you know, stays as he is. Uh, Ferraro uh, keeps improving. You know, don't forget Ferraro is very young. Um, You know, Middleton comes in and still pretty solid. Maybe Knizha comes back, you know, Maybe. And then in goal, you have the question of Reimer and Hill. You know, you're counting on Reimer to duplicate what he has done this season. Uh, Hill is the, you know, the big question mark. Uh, so if Hill uh, steps it up in the next, uh, uh, you know, year and a half, right, compared to his first half season with the Sharks, which has been uh, not great, you know, to to be honest, right. Um, so then you start to kind of resemble a top 10 team (laughs) it's still not a surefire top 10 team but i think that if you can you know really answer again that secondary scoring slash uh depth up front question and maybe uh, adding a center uh in his prime like a cop and eklund coming in and stepping in and being an immediate impact player that might help answer the questions up front and I think with
1: that, you'll stick with that same defense first mentality because oh, the offense yeah. will naturally evolve from the previous season. You know, right, you right. Cop. So that's
0: why my suggestion is a guy like a cop. And it's, you know, knowing that yeah. Eklund is a pretty responsible defensive player and not a guy like, say, a Max Domi or something like that. Right. So, yeah.
1: No, I think that that would be a solid plan, and that would still even be bordering. Like, it
0: give you a chance, yeah. It's yeah. it's not a, a surefire strategy because there isn't a surefire strategy with the Sharks team that just you know doesn't have a lot of money to spend and is spending a lot of you know bad like a lot of good money after bad kind of right in terms of just you know players not performing up to their contracts. Yeah, I think that's a good solid
1: off season plan. I'll make sure to forward that audio a bit to Doug Wilson, and uh, we'll get right on that, Shane. So. <laughs> Next question coming in from uh, Eric, I think it's Pachette or Pachette. Again, I'm so sorry. Um, He says, I know I've asked this before, but any way to find out if the Sharks plan on ditching the current jerseys for new ones, whether it be heritage teals slash whites or something new altogether?
0: Yeah, so we're going to leave sort of the the on-the-ice stuff. So we're going to end here with a few uh, off-the-ice sort of uh, sharks questions and and whatnot and personal questions here. But um, so – There really is not a way to find out unless, you know, I get into some of these uh, marketing meetings, right? But I am trying to talk with uh, a Jonathan Becker soon about a variety of topics, and I will ask him, and he will probably give me a pretty corporate answer, so we're not going to get an answer that way. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, my guess is, though, that I, I... yeah, I can tell that you're not a fan of the current jerseys, but my guess is that they do they do keep them. Uh I do hope they do incorporate the heritage heritages more instead of just like the special occasion thing that they've been doing. It is such a shame that last season, their 30th anniversary year, they wore those beautiful heritage jerseys and almost nobody saw them live because obviously SAP Center was closed. And so um so yeah, hopefully they rectify that at some point soon and not at the 35th anniversary or 40th anniversary. It would be great if they wore those every year, at least as alternates or third jerseys. You know, that would be amazing. Uh, Still hoping to see Heritage White, uh, the original jerseys, but the white versions of them because those are beautiful too. Um, So I'm with you, Eric, that I would love to see them. I would love to see them come back in, in full force and replace the current jerseys, but I'm just not seeing it. I'm not hearing any sign that that's where they're going with it. Um, I have to assume that their jersey sales are strong enough that they don't necessarily need to do that to 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 goose the jersey sales, right? Uh, to get that kind of temporary boost that they would get from going back to the, the original jerseys. Yeah, we're definitely a fashion-based
1: podcast here. <laughs> Got every jersey type in that closet over there. And I actually have the old Wilson one hanging up behind me, which is basically the, the heritage, but the original CCM style, so... Love him. Love the color. Love everything about him. Next question coming in from Old Goalie. Mentioned you earlier. Saw this name. <laughs> what is Doug Wilson's status? This is his health status. Uh, it says, I have not heard anything since the December leave of absence. And does James Reimer profile his skate blades? And if so, what profile does he use? Two very different questions.
0: Very different questions, yeah. And uh, the Doug Wilson one I wanted to include in there because I uh, had an article today on San Jose Hockey Now, which you probably saw uh, Mr. or Mrs. Old Goalie. Uh, but uh, so as I mentioned a few times, a couple times on his podcast at least, um, you know, I was, I've was i been under the impression since uh, Doug Wilson's leave of absence that he is still you know, the phrase I've used is a phone call away, basically, you know, big decision, Joe will can still talk to, talk to Doug Wilson. And that's what Frank Cervalli reported uh, or confirmed in the, in the article that um, that was posted today on San Jose hockey now. And he used the phrase uh, Frank used a phrase that Doug Wilson and Joe will communicate on the regular. And so for sure, Doug Wilson was very aware, very, very aware, and I'm sure I would think made the final decision on things like terminating Evander Kane, and will be, you know, very much a part of what happens with Tomas Hurdle, even if he's not there on the day to day kind of stuff. And so what that means for his health, um, again, not, not sure about that. And, you know, Frank was not sure in his article too. But the fact that they're talking regularly and that I believe that, you know, Doug sort of prints are still on this franchise. It would suggest that Doug is capable or healthy enough to do that, at least, which is a great thing, uh, but maybe not at the day to day yet. And hopefully that'll be soon. Uh, I will mention, I guess, sort of as a as a as a preview or a side to that, that uh, uh, we're supposed to talk to Joe Will uh, next week. Uh, that's uh, some of the, the, the local media. And so maybe at, at that point, we'll get a better idea of um, sort of uh, who exactly is in charge. Um, but again, though, you know, I do think it's still it's still very much uh, Doug Wilson, but maybe not so much on a day to day, but in the bigger picture. And um, hopefully, uh, uh, you know, hopefully he comes back uh, uh, soon. And on the other question, sorry, about uh, James Reimer. Uh, So I actually wasn't sure uh, what skate blade profiling was at first uh, myself. And so anyway, if you don't know what that means, uh, skate blade profiling is the changing the shape of the blade to help a player uh, with their skating potential, maximize their skating potential. And so um, Mr. or Mrs. Old Goalie, uh, Mm -hmm. I will ask James Reimer, just remind me, uh, when we go back to in person, it's not the kind of question that you ask over a Zoom press conference. Have you seen uh, any of those? Uh, you know, you get a couple questions. questions are usually very targeted on the game or whatnot. Right. It's not a kind of a one on one exchange where you, you sort of ask like a, a like a slightly random question like that. But uh, when if and when the Sharks locker room goes back to in person where. Uh, you know it's a little more relaxed and you know it's it's not all on camera like zoom right now all on camera uh, then uh yeah that that's something that that I'll, I'll definitely happy to ask James and you know James seems like a, a very pleasant guy I think uh, he'll be happy to answer that and answer a hockey detail question like that and uh, so yeah so uh, if I don't remember uh, just remind me uh, uh, if and when we go back to more in person and I'll try to ask James that you have to ask
1: him if he's going to ever think about switching to baby powder to help prevent the old swamp ass. Since that <laughs> last game, he said he didn't want the guys to sit in the chair after him. <laughs> powder up, James! Come on, man! <laughs> Believe in it. <laughs> we have another question coming from Alaskan underscore Ice. The, the name it doesn't say underscore. There's just an underscore between the two words. Just want people to know. <laughs> and this is targeted towards you, Shang. This says. Why hockey, and also have you covered any other sports
0: and i I just want to give a personal uh thanks uh uh to Alaskan ice uh, n- nobody comments more on my articles than uh than than Alaskan and I really appreciate it I love the interaction i love uh, uh, yeah i i, 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 I just uh, it's great to know that somebody's reading and also that you know somebody's reading uh, uh, uh or someone cares enough about what he's reading is compelled to comment. And so I really appreciate all the comments Alaskan. And so anything you ever need, uh, you know, I'm just a a DM away or email away. So, but anyway, to answer your questions. So why hockey? Uh, Just a sport that, you know, I've loved since, uh, since I was a kid, you know, I've told a story before of, of, you know, being seven years old and, or actually six, I think, and and in, and in hearing the news that the L.A. Kings. I grew up in L.A., so sorry guys, but you know, hearing that the Kings had acquired the greatest uh, hockey player ever on the news, and I didn't know what hockey was, but you know, just like the best player ever. Oh, well, that sounds cool, uh, because I was already into sports, and the first look I had um, at Wayne Gretzky uh, was uh, the press conference, and they're putting on the black, silver, and white jerseys. Uh, that's when they debuted them during that press conference. And I thought those were the just the coolest things, just the best-looking things ever. You know, of course, they totally caught that look from the Raiders. But back then, it was only pretty much the Raiders and the Kings with that black, silver, and white look. You know, this is before everybody went black with their jerseys in the 90s. And so it just was the... Just, just, just the, the, just the coolest kind of, you know, coolest fucking thing to look at, you know. I, I, <laughs> uh, I thought that was awesome, and so anyway, um, you know, we we didn't really have cable back then, and the hockey back then was pretty much only on cable, and so throughout the, you know, the early nineties or whatever, uh, I just listened to hockey mostly on the radio for the most part, uh, because we were too cheap <laughs> to have cable, and you know, every once in a while there'd be a hockey game on regular TV. You know, they would schedule like maybe five or 10 games on regular TV. The rest were on cable. So I always made sure to watch those few games that are on TV. That was an event for me. I would record the games. Uh, but again, it was mostly just listening to on the radio, listening to Nick Nixon, who is still broadcasting Kings games. And a big, a big moment for me was the 93, uh, the 93 plow front for the Kings, uh, where they, Kind of, you know, kind of reminding you, actually, of the 2016 Sharks team, uh, a team that had kind of been disappointing in the playoffs for a number of years. Uh, the Kings, you know, were bounced, uh, couldn't make it to the conference final in the first uh, five years with Gretzky, 80, with 89 playoffs, the 90 playoffs, 91, 92. So the first four years with Gretzky, team was getting older. There was a lot of older players on a team, like Yari Curry, Kelly Rudy, Marty McSorley. Again, this will remind you of the Sharks 2016 team, Joe Thornton, Marlowe, right, guys like that. So kind of an aging team that people had sort of thought, Missed their chance, kind of right. And that Kings team uh, obviously made a you know shocking uh, uh, playoff run. Um, I think there were 500 ish record, but they made it to the final. They lost to the Canadians and Patrick Waugh uh, in, the, in the Stanley Cup final. But that run sort of cemented me as a hockey fan, just listening to that on the radio. Um, and you know, I think at that time, uh, of my fandom, sports fandom. He still was a big baseball fan. I was probably, actually, baseball was probably my number one sport when, when I was a kid. Um, but as time sort of evolved, though, you know, I don't know exactly when it happened, but uh, hockey just really just became the sport for me. You know, sometime after that that Kings finals run, uh, even though the Kings were really bad after that finals run. Unlike the Sharks, you know, the Sharks reloaded and made it to the Western Conference Final in 2019, right, with Eric Carlson. But uh, the Kings got really significantly worse after the 93 final run. They missed the (laughs) playoffs uh, for the next uh, four years. They didn't make the playoffs again until 97-98. But um, so, yeah, you know, that's actually a really good question I, I should think about why. Because it was during that kind of time that, that really hockey became like number one, number one sport ahead of. I also was a big Lakers fan growing up. You know, again, I'm from L.A., you know, big uh, Angels fan, uh, big, uh, big Raiders fan, actually, uh, when they were in L.A. But once they moved from L.A., I just sort of stop. You know, I don't have a really NFL team. Um, uh, yeah. Not even the the Rams now, even though they're in a Super Bowl. Sorry, Nick. Uh, but uh, still from L.A., though. So go Rams. Why would you <laughs> but- say that? <laughs> But uh, anyway, um, so why hockey is a good question, actually, in some ways. I never really thought about why it became kind of my number one sport, but it did somewhere around that time. And so anyway, in terms of uh, uh, when I decided to write about hockey, uh, that was, you know, about six years ago or so. And, you know, sort of going through sort of a. Uh, midlife crisis in terms of my career, I had been in teaching, I had been in advertising, uh, copywriting, I had no passion for teaching, even though I was uh, pretty good at it. And I did like advertising. uh, But uh, also, you know, I love sports, and I love writing, you know, my background, I have a master's in creative writing, which I may have mentioned before, master's in creative writing poetry. And so, you know, I thought to myself, well, you know, I love writing, I love sports, love hockey. So why don't we do something with that? and um and so yeah and hockey again you know was uh, was uh, was uh, became my my number one sport and so that's what I kind of chose to to get into uh but anyway alaskan the second part of your question uh you know have I covered uh have I covered other sports uh yes i i have uh you can find uh, on NBC Asian America i have written baseball i wrote a Sean Manaya profile uh football i wrote a story about Roman Gabriel um, and uh, my favorite story, though, that I wrote for NBC Asian America um, was a diving story. And it's a story about the friendship between uh, Victoria Manello Draves and Sammy Lee. Uh, these were the first Asian Americans to win Olympic gold medals. And they also happened to be lifelong friends. You know, they won gold medals in the 40s, you know. And I was able to speak with um, Manello um, Draves' son, and Lee's niece for the story. And so you can look that up on ABC Asian America. Uh, really enjoyed uh, putting that story uh, together. And uh, yeah, so anyway, so that's, that's sort of the, the long and short of it. So actually, Alaskan, uh, you, you stopped me there because uh, why hockey is a good question, so. Uh, why pick a sport that uh is not so favorable to to people that look look like me <laughs> for for one thing um but uh yeah it but just so it's, it so happens to be the, the sport i love so
1: well i mean at at the same time it's people like you shang that have helped kind of blow down those barriers and helped others oh well, i want to say quite blow down, down blow well, anything down from, but from like, my i do perspective. like to think that i'm a
0: small part in sort of uh, <laughs> hey everyone plays things, a part right everyone yeah, plays a part a little it. bit better so
1: now, your, your contributions and you, uh, the, the people that you employ as well underneath you and allow others to break down barriers, you know, it's just a domino effect. Right? Maybe it didn't start with you, but, you know, you, you have the, the drive and the competitive nature to not give a shit about what anyone thinks because you let your work speak for itself. And that's why you have these subscribers like Alaska Nice that will comment on almost every article and... And, and interact with you. And, and Thank you, Laskin Nice. Yeah, and for me to reach out to you and get you on these, this podcast with THPN is because you're well-respected in this field, and like I said, your your work speaks for itself. So, you know you impact people and why hockey? Well, it's because hockey is the greatest sport, Shang. That's why. I mean, it's just hands down. Let me answer that one for you. that
0: probably should should have been what I just said. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I'll answer that one for you. Just cut the whole bit out. We'll just throw that in there. (laughs) (laughs) Next question though, as we're kind of wrapping this thing up. Yeah. Very last question here, guys. Yeah. Uh, Ian Hutchison asks, what drove you to covering the sharks? And, How'd you get your start?
0: Right. And so I sort of alluded to how I got my start in that last question, but I guess uh, I'm assuming you're asking how I got my writing start. And funny enough, uh, uh, the first kind of team that I covered uh, wasn't the Kings that I grew up as a fan of, but um, I applied to the hockey writers. I wanted to, uh, You know, write for an outlet and kind of uh, you know learn learn the ropes that way. And they assigned me the Minnesota Wild. And so you can probably look up my name, the hockey writers, Minnesota Wild, and you can find um, some early articles that I wrote. And I will say I've told this story before, but. Uh, one of the things that I made sure I make sh- I've made sure everywhere I've been is uh, uh, covering the wild or writing about the kings or eventually uh, the golden knights, right? Which I did for a year, which I'll get to in the storyline or the sharks, right? Is um, being really prepared, uh, researching my ass off. And, you know, I don't, I, you know, I, when I, started writing about the wild I didn't want anybody to think that oh this is a guy who doesn't know anything about the wild writing about the wild no I looked back my first article was a history piece looking back at some of the big traits I and luckily the wild were only you know 10 years old 15 years old at that point so it wasn't too much history to catch up on but I made sure to get deep in their history and one of the proudest moments of you know my early writing career you know when you know nobody was following I don't even know if I had a twitter account back then uh, and maybe 50 people read the article that I wrote I don't know but um but when uh wild fans would tell me uh that oh I didn't know that that I did not know that you were not a wild fan uh because you can't tell with the article that I wrote <laughs> and so anyway <laughs> uh so that leads to what drove me to covering the sharks so um so again I grew up a, a kings fan and you know my dream was to cover the Kings from the Staples Center, or now the Crypto.com press box. <laughs> um, but that didn't uh, uh, work out because, uh, you know, we be honest, the the, the Kings uh, back then, uh, they just weren't very open to new writers and, you know, allowing new writers, you know, a regular press credential. You know, this is the Kings team that was coming off a couple of the Stanley Cups, uh, so that might have something to do with it. Um, but this was you know, about the 2016-ish season, you know, 2016-17 season. You know, I that was about the time where I had you know, been writing for a couple of years. And the next step was to get a press credential and to have that experience, you know, being in an arena every night. And so anyway, um, it wasn't happening in L.A. And so what made sense to me was, well, OK, I really want to get into a, a, a press box. I think my writing, my work quality is good enough and well where can i do it and of course uh, at that point about that point uh vegas was about to start and yeah moving to a market like vegas wouldn't be like say like trying to like uh uh, get into the new york rangers press box or the montreal canadians press box right you know uh covering uh, expansion team in a market like vegas you know they would be receptive to somebody like me and they were and so my first uh, press credential at the NHL level, uh, I previously covered Ontario Reign in the 2015-16 season, but uh, but my first uh, press credential at the angel level was the Vegas Golden Knights expansion season. Uh, crazy, you know, crazy season, obviously. I know everybody listening here hates the Golden Knights, but uh, that was some season to be, be a part of, though. Um, and so anyway, so what got me to the Sharks anyway? So long story short, so... Um, so Vegas that, that year went quite well for me. Uh, you know, I, uh, was able to, uh, I was invited to the PHWA. Um, I voted on the Angel awards for the first time that year. Uh, I was, uh, um, up for, I guess I can say now, I mean, I was up for the athletic job in Vegas and I would have stayed in Vegas if I got that job. Uh, but I didn't get that job. And, at that point, uh, uh, my my wife, uh, who had been uh, uh, working and living uh, abroad for the last four years, she had, uh, uh, you know, we had met each other in New York. But uh, then uh, she she was working and living in China and Japan in the kind of the, the intervening years. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had accepted a job in the in the Bay Area. And so at that point, you know, once I didn't get that kind of that top job in Vegas, right, you know, I could have stayed in Vegas because I'd already kind of made a name for myself and continued there and, and built something out there because I'd already built something, you know, good out there. You know, people, people knew me, people liked my work out there. People sort of knew me for pissing off uh, Gerard Gallant <laughs> a lot. That's a whole <laughs> different story for for, for another day. Um, but, you know, but once I didn't get the top job, it just sort of like, well, okay you know uh um i should i, I should obviously then I, I should i should i should uh i should be with my wife and and so yeah so that's sort of sort of what happened so i was like well i so i just kind of transitioned my credential over to to the sharks um, you know uh grateful that the sharks were were open to you know just taking me in kind of on the spot because actually I think I can tell the story, actually. Uh, So, of course, I covered the Golden Knights 2017-18. And I actually was still covering the Golden Knights in the first month of the 2018-19 season. So, of course, that's the season of the Sharks trade for Eric Carlson. And, uh, but, you know, b- by like the, you know, preseason or whatever that season, I kind of knew that I was going to be, you know, coming over to to the Sharks or to the Bay Area. And the very first game I covered for the Sharks was a Rangers game. And, uh, October, what, 2018, right? The Sharks might have won an overtime, but they lost in overtime to the Rangers. And a certain reporter asked uh, Peter DeBoer and Evander Kane and Joe Pavelski about going to a Drake concert. <laughs> 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 You're like, oh, no. <laughs> and so, yeah, so that was the very first Sharks game that I covered, and I thought, oh, my... Yeah. Oh, my God. What did I get myself into there? <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Is it like this every day? Oh, my God. So anyway, it I think that's a funny, funny, funny incident uh, that, you know, to 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 recount, you know. <laughs> and best of luck uh, to to kevin in 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 new york and kevin was always good to me too by the way i want to add that too uh kevin 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 was uh, good to me from the beginning (laughs) of my uh time with the sharks but uh, i thought that was a uh, interesting way to to start my uh my my tenure covering the sharks so um (laughs) so anyway so what drove me to cover the sharks basically you know wasn't fandom (laughs) sorry ian um um you know i think you mentioned actually in your question i kind of came out of nowhere uh and i sort of did actually yeah because you know i was covering you know a lot of teams that weren't the the sharks for a the couple years uh before um but one thing that i you know the reason why i mentioned the minnesota uh wild the uh, out um sort of um Uh, sort of anecdote is uh you know i pride myself you know uh when i moved to 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 san jose i made sure to and i was already pretty familiar with sharks history just being a kings fan right because obviously the kings and sharks uh, played each other interacted so much over the years but you know i doubled down on that in terms of my research um and i you know, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't think anybody could tell if I told you I was, I, I was a Sharks fan for my entire life. I think that that'd be very believable because I make sure to know as much as a lifelong Sharks fan would know. If I don't know something, then I learn it. Then. Um, and so um, that's, you know, that's why I prided myself uh, uh, from the beginning of, of sort of my writing career, you know, covering the Minnesota wild of all teams. And, you know, I, Going to Vegas, of course, you know, I didn't need to learn about the team because it was a new team, but I learned about the players uh, and their histories and coming to San Jose, a, a much, you know, more, uh, much longer, more illustrious history than the Minnesota Wild for sure. Uh, I made sure to learn that uh, back and forth uh, before, uh, you know, opening my mouth about the Sharks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, I appreciate the, the, the question there, though. All
1: right, Shang, that... Um that pretty much wraps up all the questions that we have from
0: confirmed subscribers here, but you do. Oh have yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I did want to mention that too. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. reminding me, Nick. Uh, so I received a few questions here uh, and the way I try to figure out uh, some of the guys, some of you guys are some of the guys who ask questions. I know are members, you know, these are consistent commenters like Alaskan ice and Alex. And I appreciate sort of the, the regular comments I get from you guys. But uh, so I got some other questions that I would have been happy to answer. Uh, but I couldn't tell if you guys were subscribers or not, because your usernames did not come back. I'm not trying to shame anybody here. So if not, if you don't (laughs) subscribe, that's fine. There's a lot of different reasons why somebody wouldn't subscribe. So no problem. But, um, so if I did not get to your question, and you are a subscriber then just dm me or email me and i will be happy to subscribe or i'm sorry sorry uh, happy to answer your question personally and there i got some funny ones in here too that i actually was looking forward to answering one of them was from a berserker who i know from twitter um and so uh he asked something like uh why is there a food poisoning and not a food antidote i like that question i actually had a great answer i actually thought of it before but then i looked it up like oh well you know, again, I want to, I want to make this fair and keep the subscription this, uh, uh, this, this, a uh, mailbag for, uh, subscriber questions. Uh, but anyway, uh, so any of you guys, uh, uh, didn't get your questions answered and you are a subscriber, you asked the question, uh, contact me, uh, let me know that you are a subscriber and I will be happy to answer your question, uh, even if it's a ridiculous one. So, <laughs> All the questions. The best questions, the questions are the yes. ridiculous questions. <laughs>
1: like, how much do you love the office? And why don't you have more Dwight Bobbleheads behind you, Shane?" I mean, these are well, all the you questions. know, this
0: uh, Dwight Bobblehead actually that uh yes, if you want to see it too. I I had his background on my last NBC appearance. So mm-hmm. and I have I have a story on that on my website, but this uh, Dwight Bobblehead here, actually the neck fell off. this is a present this was a present to my wife because my wife is uh, i love the office but you know she loves loves the office so uh so this was a present to my wife and so anyway dwight's neck snapped off at some point in one of our moves and so this head is glued right there and so the reason why i don't have another one is well uh, they're actually expensive they're i think these go for like a hundred dollars or so on uh, on ebay And these are like the original sort of bobbleheads that they sold at the NBC store when when the office was on the air, like, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's probably big, I guess the biggest, but also you just need one. And I was able to, I think the main point is that I fixed this one because you can't tell that it's, it's head once Dwight's head once came off here. So,
1: (laughs) well, I love it. I love the decor. We need more, more office. We need the stapler and the jello. We need everything. Hey, I got the Jello right here. Look,
0: Jim with the Jello. <laughs> see, I knew it. <laughs> it's the it's the accompanying bobblehead, I and I have the office sign right behind me too, which which yeah, I, I got that I wife, too. Side. So you can see that, right? Yeah. And I have other things too. You can see there's the uh, you guys can see this. Sorry, I'm just kind of talking off the top now, but you guys can see this the next time I'm on I'm on uh, NBC. I'm at home. So I have a, a Archers Irvine Hockey Digest cover because I want to add a nice a nice Sharks element. So. Nice, nice. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that's going to pretty much wrap it up for this episode. We got another another long one here for the folks to learn everything that they could possibly want to know about you and
0: more. Well, um, <laughs> yeah. Again, I appreciate all the questions. Everybody who subscribes, uh, even everybody who, who doesn't, <laughs> please subscribe. But if you don't, I uh, thank you for reading. Thank you for listening. And yeah, uh you know, let's uh, uh keep this up. Hopefully uh the uh this year continues to be uh fun. You know, it's been a fun year at least, you know, even though uh hasn't been a perfect year in terms of uh, injuries and results, but it's been a lot more fun than the last couple of years. I think we can all agree on that. I agree wholeheartedly.
1: And uh with that, Shang, I think it's time to wrap things up and tell the folks goodbye essentially for this week and uh we'll see them next week. So Uh, That'll pretty much do it for us here at the San Jose Hockey Now Podcast. Make sure you all stay safe, take care of yourselves, and of course, stay hydrated.